What's up, everybody? How you doing? Hold on. I, I definitely want to do it this way. Yeah, that's how we roll. What's up, everybody? If you are uh, new to cybersecurity or you've been around a while, you may have heard of GRC. This is the, you know, the 2022 darling of information security. I'm not joking you. It used to be kind of back, back of the, you know, back of the uh, bus, back of the church, whatever you want to call it. And it has come on fire in the last year and a half with people wanting to know more about cybersecurity's GRC function, how to get a job in that space. What does it actually look like? And by God, what does GRC stand for? So I am super excited and pleased to bring today to the stage, Erica McDuffie. She has an unbelievable wealth of knowledge in executing GRC or governance, risk and compliance across all dimensions of it. She is a superstar in our industry. And I'm so very honored to be able to actually call her personally a friend. So real quick, before we get in and start blowing your minds with GRC knowledge bombs, I want to thank each of you for being here today. If you're with us live, awesome. I really genuinely appreciate it. If you have questions, and I hope you do, drop them in chat with a cue at the beginning so I know it's with me. You guys, chat's awesome, but you guys, you know, you start talking and doing your thing, and I need to know which ones are for me to be able to pepper Erica with. And don't let her off the hook, people, okay? If you're watching on replay, thank you very much. I genuinely appreciate it. I hope you can catch us on the next live stream. Without further ado, let us bring in Ms. Mc... Hey, Erica, what's up? How you doing? Jerry, it's so good to be here. I'm honored to be part of the Simply Cyber community. I'm a big fan of yours, of the show, and I am so happy to be here today to talk about one of my favorite topics, GRC. Oh, my. oh it's, you know, it's one of mine too, uh, Erica. I, I, I tried with Simply Cyber to go blue and red hard and dabble with the GRC, but I, you know, I got to be true to my roots and really represent GRC. So it, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm like super pumped about today's conversation. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get rocking. All right. So, I mean, let's just jump right into it with like kind of the obvious first question, like set the stage for us, like kind of what is GRC, just so we're all understanding what it is when we're talking about what the job is and how you get it and the skills and all that. So break it down for us. What is GRC? Yeah, absolutely. So you defined it earlier, governance, risk and compliance. So GRC, think about everyone that is executing the security program on the back end. And these are the people that are most of the time interacting with um, all of your business leaders internally. They're interacting with the engineering team. Think of them as like the sticky glue that's corresponding with all aspects of your organization and making sure that risks are aware, they're communicated, things are prioritized, and that people at the top, on the sides, at the bottom, everyone is in the know. So think of these people as like your security gurus on your team. And they're, they're managing a lot of regulatory compliance frameworks. They're managing a lot of different um, aspects of the business. And they're also responsible for the posture of security, right? A lot of times they're the ones that are filling out vendor requests. They're making sure that um, the engineering team is on the know of what requirements are coming down the line. And then they're also interacting with the auditors day in and day out. So this can look a lot of different ways, depending at what organization you work on, and if you work internally, as we call it, or if you work externally in professional services. So there's a lot to unpack here, um, but this just gives us a little bit of setting the stage. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one, one question that uh, I recently was asked, and, and, and I thought I answered it well, and I'm curious on your response. 
you know, how pervasive is GRC as a job? And, and to kind of use a contrasting example, like pen testing, not every company has pen testing, right? Certain yeah. companies do, or you, you hire it out because it's boutique. Yep. So what, what is, what's the kind of ecosystem look like across industry for GRC? Yeah. I mean, I would say that every organization at this point has a, some sort of GRC program, whether it's mature or not, that depends on the size and it depends on the aptitude of the business and the maturity. Um, so I think like years and years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, if you went into a health healthcare system, there might be three people running this uh, organization from a GRC perspective, which is just mind blowing thinking of all the patient healthcare data that they have. Now, these teams, especially in like the healthcare space, they're more like 100 people, right? Mm -hmm. So there's been an increasing uh, amount of awareness in our space, which is awesome. But even at like the smallest organizations, tech startups, there is some kind of GRC function because our customers, regardless, are going to be asking for some short sort of assurances. That's just the world we play in now. Yeah, that, that's such a great point that even if you don't identify as a GRC, like maybe you're a, a network engineer at a small, small company. When the questionnaire comes in, they send it to you, BSEC, mm -hmm. because, because you're the person who, who knows something about the security. So I 100% agree with you on that one, uh, especially with the way insurance uh, has, has become so dominant yeah. in our space. But but without going down that rabbit hole, Erica, so now that we know kind of what it is and that it's pretty much everywhere, if folks in chat are hearing this or maybe they've already heard about GRC and they want to know more, like how would you recommend someone get started in GRC? So I honestly think that this was GRC, and I think you alluded to this earlier, it wasn't the sexy job to have. A lot of people fell into it just because they were eager to help out at their organization. So if you're, that, let's just use the scenario that you brought up, you're an engineer, you are in some sort of, um, let's just say team where you're aware that you guys are going into an audit, for example you may be asked to show up to the audit and ask a few questions. A lot of engineers are going to say, auditors, red alert, no, I'm not jumping in that room. I, as a GRC professional, am going to say, yeah, no, don't be scared. Go into that room. You're going to learn so much just based on what the questions these auditors are going to ask. And then they're going to give you tips and tricks that are going to make you better at your job. And you're going to understand why they're asking the things that they're asking and why you need to level up your game as an engineer. So a lot of people fall into GRC rather than like coming out of school saying, Hey, I'm going to go into GRC. Right. Yeah. Um, and I will add that there's a lot of programs now that, that offer like audit and compliance or audit and assurance programs. A lot of them at the master's level. So somebody that already has like a foundation in security, some kind of engineering, they're able to refine their skill sets by going into a master's higher education type program or, uh, or pursuing different types of certifications like the CISA, the Certified Information Systems Auditor, um, to become more in tune with those types of audit skills that are needed. So I came up with a computer science background, a bit you know technical sysadmin, but when I got into security, I came in through GRC and I came in through audit. So, you know, I have my own biases and beliefs on this, but from your opinion, 
what is a what is what is an ideal or a, a good role to break into GRC? Because there are multiple roles within the GRC space. It's not just like GRC analyst one. It's there's different functions. Yeah. Which which functions might people um, find an easier path getting into the space with? Yeah, uh, I honestly think that there. There's not a right answer here. I think that there's just a, a lot of different options. So one could be any type of security analyst roles, SOC analyst roles, and not to be, you know, like confused with the security operations center. It could be, that could be your segue into audit, but SOC as in SOC analyst, a lot of the times this is framework related to SOC. And then also there's, um, there's like governance analyst roles there's security operations roles. There's also internal audit roles where you're going to get a crash course and you're really going to learn your organization's controls and any kind of guardrails that are in place from a security perspective, because initially you're just given a set of controls and you're just going to learn audit 101. I think that's the biggest thing is just getting in and getting a basic fundamental understanding of what it is to be an auditor. Mm -hmm. Because I think you and I know that. I mean, it's, you know, I didn't, I fell into audit just like you, you know, I, um, I started as a pen tester, found my way into audit, loved audit, made sense to me. I'm someone that likes to look at something and have a, you know, right and wrong and dig in deeper, ask questions and really understand my subject matter. So it just clicked with the way that I think. And I think audit isn't for everybody. So I think that just getting that kind of entry level, getting your feet in the door and understanding what is required of the job. I think that that's a great way to start so that you can further refine what part of audit you want to fall into. Cause it is just, I mean, even within GRC, there are so many facets. Yeah, it really is. I, and I, I feel like audit is a good, like I'm with you. Like I love order. I love structure. I love predictability, yes. which is what audit, what audit gives you. Uh, I would say just so we're being fully transparent with folks, kind of the, the downside of why people, um, tend to, to not like it is because it, it can be repetitive and it can, you know, but I, I, I feel, Eric, I don't know, this is kind of off topic here, but like, I feel like with audit, you naturally grow into risk analysts because you start to understand like, okay, so this is not compliant, but like, what does that actually mean? And is it, yeah. is it something we can accept? It can be tailored out all these things. Well, that, and also you're learning so many other skill sets. So like, let's just talk about if you're auditing a firewall. If you're auditing a firewall, you have to understand the technical components. You have to understand GCP. You have to understand AWS. If your customer's in a hybrid environment, you have to understand how to audit on-prem firewalls, how to audit the cloud, pull security groups, and understand how these things are configured. So a lot of being an auditor is learning technical depth as you go also. So you're learning a part of risk, you're understanding technical skill sets, like you're growing in ways that you don't really realize you're growing because you feel like you're auditing the same types of things. Like you may have a control set and you may be doing that for different types of customers in different types of environments, but guess what? Tech, everyone uses different tech. Everyone is hosted in different environments and there's different complexities there. So like the learning is unlimited. Yeah. And you, you really do get exposed to a lot of tech and, and, and people. Now, Erica, we're going to go to the questions in chat because Chad is lit right now. They are on yeah. fire. So, so get ready. Okay. Paul's asking what certifications would you suggest? He has, I ha he has his system, but possibly looking at C-Risk or starting with IT risk fundamentals. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I thought the C-Risk was a great exam. I did take the C-Risk and I took the CISA. I think honestly, in this space, 
any of those ISACA certs are really well respected, um, especially if you're in the professional services space. People want to see these letters associated with your name. So I think that it's great. Not only is it an exam that you have to take, but you also have to have working experience to apply in order to have the certification. So for example, for the C-Risk, I want to say it's like three years and your education, if you do have education in a related realm, it can count to the years of experience. And then similarly for like the CISA, and if you have the this, this system, you probably already know this, but for those that don't, with the CISA, it's about five years. So two of those years may be, education, but three of those have to be on the job. So while you may pass the exam, and that's a great way to get kind of like the baseline exam, and you can tell people, hey, I've passed the exam, I just don't have a formal, you know, designation yet. So I think that's a great place to start. I agree 100%. ISACA is definitely like right up in GRC's wheelhouse. Now, friend, good friend of ours, Jack Scott, Jax wants to know, and Jax, thanks for the squad uh, membership. What's your favorite RMF? And why? Okay, so Jax, Jax already knows the the answer to this question because I am a SOC 2 gal. I love SOC 2. That is my bread and butter. That is honestly where I have decided to dedicate the majority of my expertise just because I've been familiar with a lot of different frameworks. And I find that SOC 2 is so customizable and it is so widely applicable to different players in the market. So any type of organization, whether you're a cloud provider, whether you're a mortgage lender, whether you have a marketing application, like you can get SOC 2 and it's awesome. And the controls are flexible in a way where you can really critically think and think from a risk-based perspective. Um, And it's tied back to COSA, which is all about risk and internal Mm -hmm. control, which is really, really great. So it just allows you to think critically. um, Whereas a lot of other frameworks are so stringent that it's just a little bit more black and white. Yeah, and, and just to her point too, COSO uh, and COBIT, the, and that's tied to SOX, which all publicly traded companies have. So there's a there's a huge market for those mm-hmm. skills. Uh, just whether or not it's the best one or not, just understanding it and knowing it is very valuable. You might argue that uh, NIST CSF isn't really a risk management framework, but uh, I, I'm a huge fan of CSF as an information security pro- program framework. And then you know, basically using 830 to risk assess it. But now now we're getting into nerd talk. So uh, next question, uh, Requiem says, what recommend, what recommendations are you trying to transition from mid-career sysengineer with project management to GRC? So it looks like he's got some cycles, some time in the saddle and the IT side. Okay, so I think my, my, I have a question here is, are you already in an organization? If so, if you're in an organization, I would talk to your management And I would try to transition because here's the thing. Every organization needs more GRC support, especially people with your type of backgrounds. So Mm -hmm. if you are, I would say go ahead and make a make a lateral shift within your organization. Start to get involved in the GRC space. And I think that that's going to be your best place to to fit in. Alternatively, if you're looking for a new organization, I think that your skill sets are really well tuned with uh, what you need from the audit, what an audit space looks like. So. I would maybe go pursue for your CISA, pursue some kind of audit um, certification, or at least show the aptitude to want to go into audit because an audit isn't for everyone. So whether you have an engineering background, project management experience, I think that that's great and very translatable. However, it is something that you have to figure out if you like audit or not. So I'm always going to tell people that audit isn't for everybody. You have to, you have to want those, uh, you want to have that kind of structure. And so um, 
I hope that answers your question. If not, feel free to add another one and I'm happy to clarify. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I feel like it's worth mentioning too, that you can get into GRC without doing audit, right? So right. this, this, this individual requiem uh, could get into risk or get into mm -hmm. talking to the business, being that kind of liaise between the engineers and the business. Absolutely. So there is, there is non-audit work, but um, you know, if you, you might have to do some at some point. Yes, exactly. If you get yeah. it, if you get into GRC, chances are someone's going to pull you into an audit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pete, friend of uh, the community asks, are there any universities known for GRC or cyber insurance auditing? So I will say, and I'm, and I'm, Gonna say because I I'm here in Georgia, so Atlanta, Georgia. I will say that there's programs at Georgia State University, and there's one at Kennesaw State University that I know of, and we've hired out of those programs, and they're fantastic programs that give you a really good understanding of what it is to have a GRC foundation, mixing in the technical expertise, and then also exposing you to different types of frameworks, even within uh, your studies. So those are the ones that I am privy to, but again, because I'm limited to being stud. Uh, doing my studies here in Georgia. Yeah, I'll just throw in, again, it's all bias because of what you know, yes. but uh, Dakota State University has a slam in information security program. And I got a master's in information assurance from there, which is, you know, more of kind of GRC. There was some other stuff, but there was like heavy GRC influences and privacy mm -hmm. pieces and stuff like that. So definitely worth checking those out, uh, Pete. Uh, Carrie asks, can I uh, see, I shouldn't be here since I'm trying to get in computer and security. Oh, wait, hold on. That's not really a question. All right. Next question. Uh, Kimberly wants to know, what's your go-to GRC resource? Great question. Honestly, my peers, my network, like I am constantly just looking to see, and I have, I mean, I'm lucky that I've been in this space for a while and I've established really, really good connections and I have my go-tos for CMMC. I have my go-tos for um, ISO 27001 and all the ISO families, right? Like I know who to go to if new PCI standards are coming out. I know if new NIST stuff is coming out, who to go to. So I, I usually go and lean on my network. And LinkedIn is a great place to find this out. I know um, I know that there's a lot of podcasts out there, but it's hard to tune out You know what is specific to GRC versus like what's just cybersecurity as a whole. So while I do try to tune into just like general cybersecurity news, I think that for GRC specifics, it's really good to make some meaningful connections on LinkedIn people that publish good guidance. There's a lot of large uh, consulting firms that publish this kind of guidance and they'll let you know like what's up and coming for the year, what to watch out for. So that would be my recommendation. Great information. What, what Requiem's, you know, following up with what entry mid entry to mid-level GRC job titles should they be looking for? What's the key word to, to Google? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would look for GRC. I would look for governance. I would look for uh, vendor management. I would look for risk management. I would look for risk management and compliance. I would type in all those buzzwords, see what comes up. And I think we also talked about uh, analysts, like SOC analysts, security analysts. A lot of those fall into GRC as well. Yeah, definitely. And risk analyst and auditor. I'd also, um, you could come at it from the framework side too, right? So you yeah. could look up HIPAA auditor or FISMA just, auditor. You yeah. can look up uh, generalist auditor. Just with auditor, you have to be careful because a lot of financial auditor jobs will pop up too. So you just have to be really careful when you're, when you're using the word auditor. Can people from the help desk become auditors? 
Yes. And I've worked with some really, really great people that have started with Help Desk. I think that Help Desk gives you such an awesome foundation into just knowing, first off, how to work with internal players, how to how to communicate, and then also just like a base understanding of technology. So I think that that's a great transition. And the same advice that I gave before, just start trying to get your foot in the doors, try to get involved into, you know, what your organization is currently doing. Um, and then you have a lot of, you have a lot of translatable skills. So use that to your advantage. Absolutely. And can I just uh, pause for a moment and just tell chat, you guys are on fire right now. Like, I'm loving like it. Erica, you're, you're crushing this AMA chat. You guys are just blowing it up. Like I'm, I'm loving the flow. Let's keep going. Erica. I love your responses. They're absolutely fantastic. Barry, it's the club music. You got everybody hyped up. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know a lot of fist pumping going. So uh, Devin asks, if you're attempting to get an entry level GRC, what are the ways to practice that skill and how do you demonstrate it on a resume? Oh man, I think that I think that the best ways to highlight on a resume that you've done this effectively is just by showing that you have, um, you know, that you've gotten your foot in the door somewhere. So like whether you've participated in an audit, you've participated in a mapping exercise from one framework to the other, right? Like getting your hands dirty is the best way to demonstrate these skill sets in whatever aspect you're able to do so. So like the biggest thing is just asking and wherever you can see fit to start helping in your organization, that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, also when I finish my GRC course, um, that might be a good resource to check out. I'm like, I'm like three quarters yeah, no, I know. But but uh, one thing that we haven't been mentioning, Erica, that's also worth uh, adding to the conversation is security awareness as part of. Oh, my God. Function. Yes. Yes. Right? And so security awareness. I mean, you guys have probably been I mean, if you work for any organization, you've likely seen some kind of phishing campaign. Right. Like you've you've likely had to go through some kind of onboarding training where they tell you you know, do not click on this. Or if you receive a suspicious call from somebody, please report it to this line. So security awareness is something that is really, really important because it affects everybody at the organization. Everybody is a target, no matter if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, if you don't even have to be in an, in an engineering, right? And so I think being, um, being just in tune with what your organization is doing from a security awareness perspective is a really good way to understand GRC and to start getting involved in those types of activities. Yeah. And the, the way I've been saying it, at least in the efforts that I've been doing with security awareness is uh, like the, the point is to modify in, in a good way, modify end user behavior to be, be more secure or have stronger cyber hygiene. You're not trying to manipulate them or anything, but you're trying to show them the benefit of having multi-factor authentication right. versus just, you know, some draconian policy you push down on people. David asks, are there any open source resources or projects out there that show overlap between the frameworks? Oh yeah, there are, there are mappings all over the internet. So I would say, um, and again, because I love SOC 2, I go to AICPA and I go find, um, I find SOC 2 being mapped to all sorts of other frameworks. And I think similarly, if you just Google framework mappings, you can find a lot of different mappings. I would just make sure that you're careful for what version uh, is being is available because there's just a lot of changes in frameworks and you want to make sure you're looking at the latest and greatest. Absolutely. James, drop in government GRC roles are available. Which ones? He's got a TS. Ooh, 
Yeah. So a lot of organizations, especially in the prof professional services, they are looking for people like you that have security clearance to work with those government um, organizations. So I think a great area to get in, James, is the FedRAMP space. So the FedRAMP space, the FISMA space, these areas require um, special clearances. This, you know, this is government related. And then also most of these players, like one of the greatest things about FedRAMP to me is that you have to get FedRAMP contractually, right, to, to do work with the government. And so that is already there. This is an this is something that's been really well established. And it's a really, really, really like, I mean, to me, it's fun. So I think I think you can learn a lot there. And I would be looking for any types of those frameworks that have to deal with the government. I know that there's a lot of players in that market. Just look for um, organizations that are three PAOs. And I think that's a great way to start. Yeah. And you've actually, you know, broached a topic that I'd like to spend a minute on because a lot of people don't understand it. Talk to us about what GRC is in a professional services capability versus an in-house capability, because a lot of people don't understand the difference. Yeah. So if you're a GRC professional, you refer to this as internal, you are in-house at an organization. External, you're in professional services. That's usually the nomenclature that we use. If you're in professional services like me, you are likely a consultant. So you are hired on by organizations that need external third-party assurance through the form of audits, through the form of advisory work. Um, so you are you are assisting other customers with their endeavors. So a lot of times you're working with their internal in-house GRC team. If you are in the internal GRC space, you are learning the ins and outs of how your organization ticks. So it is a much more laser focused approach of, hey, here are the different areas that my business plays in. Here are the obligations that are pushed down, whether we're private, whether we're public, what types of assurances were, were needed from our, you know, from our customers that we have, and then from the people that we're selling services to, right? And then you are managing like all the functions internally. You're making sure that people are taking their security awareness training. You're making sure that uh, quarterly access reviews are, are taking place. You are coordinating with these engineering teams. You're coordinating with procurement to, to make sure that, you know, due diligence that's necessary is being done on contracts. Like there are so many things that you touch, honestly, versus if you're on the professional services house. And the reason that I'm in the professional services area is because I saw it as the best way to really, really learn a lot. And what I mean by that, not that you don't learn, I think you learn a lot internally. It's just a more laser focused approach. For me, the professional services space has allowed me to really level up my career in the sense that I get to work with hundreds of environments, right? Not just one environment. In a lot of different organizations, small, big, humongo, right? And they all have different types of risk appetite. They all have different kind of contractual obligations. So it just makes my life a little bit more exciting. And that's the kind of pace that I'm willing to work in. So this is, you know, pretty pertinent to you as an individual. Can a pen tester make it in GRC? Absolutely. I did that. So I, uh, I quickly realized that I uh, needed a little bit more of the consulting in my life just because I am a people person while I do love I'm, I'm an introvert at heart and I love my alone time with my computer. I did find that I needed a little bit more interaction. And so I fell into the vendor risk management space because 
that was like the best segue. That was what was available to me from a job perspective. And that's when I got really, really exposed to healthcare specifically. And from there, I found different types of frameworks, which led me to finding my passion for SOC 2. And I've touched a lot of different frameworks, but I would just say as a pen tester, just have an open mind because you're, you're going in within, with the idea that you're going to be learning a lot of different things. And you may not find your niche in this first job that you take, but just know that you just have to, you just have to keep learning, keep learning until you find something that really clicks for you where you're like, wow, this passion is driving me and I'm going to take this all the way. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I feel like a lot of the professional services jobs that we talked about, they have really nice, at least I worked at booze, like they have really nice structures. So they bring in, um, you know, new people who don't know what they're doing exactly. And yeah. they, they have programs set up to allow you to still be successful, still contribute and learn kind of on the job, as opposed to just being thrown to the wolves on your first day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So Ghazi asks, um, essentially, talk about what's the governance part of it. Because uh, yeah. he mentions about auditing, but I, I don't think it really applies here. So can you tell us what governance is? Get into the meat of explaining its purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So governance is just having an idea of, uh, so we talk about governance, risk, and compliance. So governance is like, okay, well, what are you guys subject to? So if you are in the healthcare space, you may be required to HIPAA. <laughs> Right. The governance is having an idea of like, what are what is my landscape? What am I what are my obligations as a company? And then bringing in the risk, bringing in the compliance and then having the governance of just like managing all these different things and having a holistic view of like, what do I need to do to meet all these obligations to make my stakeholders happy, both internally and from an external perspective? Dylan wants to know, like, who are the GRC people typically interacting with? Oh, legal procurement. You are dealing with engineering. You are dealing with project managers. You are you are communicating up to CISOs. You are communicating up to the board sometimes. So I would say it just depends on the on the size of your organization. But I would say these internal in-house roles, like you, mm, sky's the limit. You are corresponding with everybody and anybody. Yeah. It's definitely a good opportunity to, to meet the business, if you will. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've kind of touched on this a little bit. Like, what would you say is a great entry level GRC job? I think go find one of those analyst roles. Go find an, a, a, a generalist type role where you can learn different types of frameworks. Mm-hmm. What drives GRC programs for the company? He, he, he references compliance sales or goodwill. So I think a mix of, I think of a mix of all of these, it depends on the organization. Some organizations just want to go to market and this is a way to do so. Cause they know that they're going to be asked for these types of assurances. So for other companies, it is money. It is, Hey, I don't want to get breached. I know how expensive a breach is and I have to do my fiduciary duty and I have to do my due diligence and I need to show people that we are doing the right thing. And I need to take a risk-based approach to make sure that I do everything in my power to mitigate the risk of this happening. So I think it just depends. And goodwill, some people love security and some organizations are built with security as their backbone and they just want to do the right thing because that's that's what they want to do. So yeah, it and, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm in here a little bit. Um, you're also seeing, like you said, money, right? So cyber insurance policies are going up 4X, 8X right now the last year. 
and having a program is one of the things that they want to yes. see an organization have. And that's how GRC can help. Also, um, you know, you mentioned earlier tech startups too, right? So a tech startup is a lot more not valuable, but appealing to acquire if they can demonstrate that they've got their ducks in a row from a security perspective. You're not buying a company that has a um, a threat actor operating inside of it, right? Yeah. So these are all uh, pretty good things. Um, Jess Bishop has a pretty specific question here. Have you seen any changes in GRC in the healthcare space since the fire vulnerability white paper was released? I personally have not, um, but I have not been working in the healthcare space as much in the past few years. So yeah, I will give that disclaimer. Well, I mean, if I may, I, I worked in healthcare Absolutely. for six six years and uh, up until just 2021. So I know fire is a big thing. It basically just so people were all on the same page. Fire is basically like API calls between the main and uh, health uh, information system, like the crown jewels of a hospital and third party service providers who are doing like labs and testing and all that stuff. And it's like, it's called fire because it's a cool, a cool sounding acronym, but it's basically just API calls. I don't know about the vulnerability white paper, but I will tell you that people in the security team at a major, huge hospital definitely had concerns about fire. Uh, it just seemed a little too loose and fast, but um, because it was hot, um, pun intended there, uh, you know, the business really wanted to push for it. And that's a really great opportunity and a true challenge, I might argue, uh, Erica, for a larger discussion yeah. is when new technology comes out, right? And technology changes quickly. And the business is like, oh, man, the vendor said I could do this. Like, I want to do it. Can I do it? The GRC people have some obligation to be able to answer that question. How do you handle it when those kind of like hot new novel tech questions come in? Yeah, I think like we always have to stay up to date. And my perspective is I'm not always going to know everything. And that's okay. And that's why I also love surrounding myself with people that are well-versed in these different things. And we all have our niches. And so I lean on other people. And I, and I, if a client comes to me and they say, hey, we're really worried about this, I say, hey, noted, let me get back to you tomorrow. And I go do my research and I talk to the people that know, and I try to give my best consultative approach to it. Yeah, great, great. Be proactive, do the research, get your answers, absolutely. Can a fresher or person looking for a breakthrough into cybersecurity from non-IT work in the GRC space? So I think that um, from a, from yes, you can. However, you likely do need to show that you're doing something on your own to build up some type of skill set that applies to GRC. So whether that be certification, self-study, I would say start to do something to show an organization that you are serious about your commitment with the GRC space. So Professor Black Ops uh, looks like, sounds like he's got also gray in his hair, uh, like me, not you, Erica, you, you, you're not there. Um, what's your thought on CMMC? He's a NIST guy. Yeah, so I think uh, CMMC has a, has a ways to go. That is definitely not my expertise. You should be asking Jax this question. Um, but I, but I, you know, at my organization, we are doing some work on the CMMC side. We have some advisory work going on there. I think that it is something to watch in the next few years. I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Um, but yeah, I have not, I have not been too hands-on with the CMMC stuff, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and just as a quick side, it's been like shelved for the next nine to 24 months, uh, pending, 
all sorts of shenanigans that were going on. Yeah. So, so don't, it's not pressing that you get uh, expert on it right now, but basically just to answer professor black ops question, it was basically just 800, 171. That's what it was with it, with an independent audit. What's your, uh, any vendor risk management resources you recommend or uh, third-party risk? So this is a tough, tough question. Cause I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of guidance there. So I think um, from a vendor risk management perspective, you want to start to understand what types of vendors you have. I think that there's a lot of guidance from a risk management perspective tied to a lot of different frameworks, whether it's like Octave A, like whether it's ISO that you guys leverage for risk management. But I think there's a lot of good resources out there. I think that uh, building out a vendor program management is a really important and crucial piece of any organization. And it's personally something that I love to do. So if you have uh, a passion for that, I would definitely start just researching on your own and try to find some resources out there. There are a ton. Any GRC software, hack the box, CTF, home lab and stuff around? Like, is, is there any lab stuff for GRC? Honestly, not that I have seen, but I may be wrong. So if there is, please drop it in the chat. I would love to take a look. Absolutely. Um, Whoops, hold on, that, that, it jumps really quickly. Can you focus on just NIST frameworks and break through into GRC? Absolutely, yes. Great question. Yeah, I mean, NIST, NIST frameworks are being adopted worldwide. The NIST yes. cybersecurity framework has taken quite a hold. So that's definitely yeah. a good one to get And I would on. say even years ago, that was the foundation for anybody going into security or GRC. I mean, that was definitely like the first framework that I really, really understood or was familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best way to self-study? Any resources you suggest? So it depends on what you're wanting to study for, but I would say that there's a plethora of resources out there. I mean, I definitely went through um, the certification path just because I like a little bit more structure. So if you are picking a certification, you know, go on, go on the different websites, the, the organizations that are hosting these, these certifications, buy the books, go on, you know, online on Quizlet, find different types of quizzes to take, um, go on LinkedIn, post a, post, start a thread and, and look for different resources. People are always happy to help and share, you know, tips and tricks on what YouTube videos that they've seen that have helped them study. There's a lot of free content out there too. Jan's question is excellent. You, you know, entry-level role in professional services or should you move from in-house GRC into professional services? So honestly... I did not have in-house experience. I went straight into professional services. And I think that it's very doable. It just depends on, um, you know, where you want to start and what your focus is. Yeah. And I would, I, I, okay. So what are your thoughts on this, Erica? So I'm always been of the belief that professional services is, is arguably an easier path or there's more fish in the pond to go fishing in because professional services at, at, at the end of the day, they literally win a contract that says they'll pay, you know, the government will pay a hundred thousand dollars for a person. And then they go out and hire someone for 50 K and they're really incentivized to hire that person because the, they've already won the work. They just need a body to be put there. So, and obviously they, they've got all the capabilities because they want to rewin the work next year. So they, they, they set you up for success. But I, I've always thought that professional services had was more likely because you know they have the work and they're financially incentivized to fill the seat 
Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that perspective for sure because in professional services, you have um, you have a lot more training. And what I mean by that, it's just likely more a mature, a mature team that has these capabilities already. So as Jerry mentioned, you have you have already work that needs to happen, right? There's people there that have been doing the work that are more senior to you. And there's peers that you can come in and likely get onboarded with. So you have like a quote unquote hiring class. And there's a lot of professional services firms out there. So if you don't make it with one, you can go to a second one. And there's a lot of, it's kind of a small, uh, small type of environment in the sense that you worked at one firm, you likely know people that work at the other firm, and you may work with them again in a few years. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of cross pollination there. But I think the biggest advantage is just the training. And like I mentioned, you're exposed to so much more um, really quickly on. But in house, I think you're right in the terms that limited resources cause for less job openings and less options. So you may have to try different types of organizations and kind of shoot your shot with different types of um, teams. And a lot of times, depending on the organization and how mature it is, it might be a team of three or it might be a team of 50 and you don't really know. So I think understanding what type of environment you're wanting to step into is, is really important. And whether you are somebody that is a self-starter that is willing to go in and hunt for the learning on their own or if they want to come into an already well-established program where there is more training readily available. So Dr. Joseph asked a question, and I want to rephrase it a little bit. But if you are a senior level person with a lot of experience and some PM skills, and maybe you don't work in cybersecurity, or maybe you work in SOX and you're just burnt out and you want to pivot into GRC, what do you recommend for someone who's more senior with, with you know, like a deep resume? pivoting into GRC? Yeah, so I see a lot of program managers with this type of experience and especially in the in-house space. So in the in-house space, like literally leading the program management for a GRC initiative. So let's just say you're wanting to get compliant with uh, X framework, right? And you're wanting to pursue that. You are the person that is managing the project. You're managing the the technical the technical components that have to go with this, you're, you're, you're much more than just like what people call a project, a program manager, project manager, like you're deep in the weeds of the technical stuff that's going on. A lot of times you're corresponding with a lot of stakeholders and then you're really pushing this project along and you're communicating status. So I, I see that as a really good role for you. And then um, in-house would probably be the best way to go for that. All right. And it looks like, thank you so much. It looks like chat saying that we were buffering a little bit and that they were missing the secret answer uh, as if it was just out outside the reach of their grasp, but it looks like we're good to go now. Uh, so I, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, Tom Pike had a fascinating question that I really enjoyed. How's the GRC lifestyle and longevity? Are, are you prone to burnout? Yes, there's a lot of burnout in this space because there is such a demand for these roles um, and there's not enough people with these skill sets. And this is something that has caused a lot of, I would say a lot of bouncing around, especially during this period of the great resignation, um, because prior to the pandemic, um, a lot of us were going, especially in professional services, we were going on site to these clients and we were traveling, you know, let's just say three weeks out of, out of the month 
right? Whether it was the full week or not, you know, you're going to client sites. You also have other clients to take care of. I mean, these are, these are really long days and they require an extensive amount of concentration. Um, so it does lead to a lot of burnout if you're not careful. And I think that just a lot of us push ourselves really hard because we are, we are a certain type of people in this space. And I think we all want to know more and we want to learn everything. And so it's just part of the, part of the job. And so I think like getting really good mentorship and catching the type of uh, burnout red flags early on is a, is a really good thing. And then I'm just, I'm really excited that more people are getting um, excited about this type of field because that hopefully just means we're going to have more people entering the workforce and more people to train up and to help with these issues. Dylan says, how involved are GFC experts in developing and delivering security awareness training programs? Yeah, so I would say that um, depending on the organization, uh, a lot of organizations, these people are pretty involved because they're seeing what the uh, risks coming out of their, um, you know, the programs are or what the deficiencies in some of their internal audits or their external audits are. And so they're able to refine the security awareness content to focus on those risks that they're seeing. Hmm, okay. Thank you. I, I'm wondering why this buffering thing is happening. Uh, Todd Strand, what sort of roles can come from working in the GRC space? Excellent question. So you, you do a three-year tour as a GRC analyst. Now what? What can you go do? Anything. <laughs> so, I mean, it just depends. So I think like if you if you really love GRC and you want to be a GRC person forever, I mean, you can work your way up the ranks. And if you want to go the CISO route, you can go the CISO route. If you want to be somebody who becomes more technical and becomes a security architect, you can take that route. If you want to go into more of the program management side of the house, you can definitely do that. If you want to become somebody that trains other GRC experts, you can go the management path. So it really just depends. And then I even see people go into the, the sales side of the house because it is a really unique thing to be able to have the technical depth and the people skills and the and the wherewithal to security to sell services. So I see a lot of different roles that come out of GRC experience. So Erica, um, I know we've been talking a lot about GRC, but tell us a little bit about your new project with Jack Scott. Yeah, so uh, we rebranded to Cyber Chicks, which is our podcast. Uh, it was formerly known as Hackers and Hexen. It is hosted by ITSP Magazine. Um, it is a podcast with the theme of inclusivity. We highlight personal stories and journeys of people from all walks of life in the cyberspace. Um, I personally have such a passion for this. I love to highlight people in different roles. If you are curious about different types of cyber roles that aren't just hackers. I think that this is a great place to start getting familiar with some of the players in the market. And then also hearing different stories of how people have made their way into the GRC or security space. Absolutely. And I got to tell you people, like I've been listening to Jax and um, Erica's and John prior. They're, I've listened to their prior podcasts and I can tell you that they are excellent I mean, obviously, you've been listening to Erica today. You know she knows what she's talking about. You were on Jack's stream earlier. You know what she knows what she's talking about. So this is dynamite. I love this project. Uh, if people want to find it, just Google. I just Googled two Cyber Chicks podcasts. It was the first result that came up. Uh, look for the hot pink. I think that that's going to yeah. really, really have it stand out. Uh, yeah, and we're on, we're on Spotify. We're on all streaming platforms. So definitely check us out. I love it. This is such a great project. I'm really looking forward. When's your first uh, episode drop? 
We dropped one already this week, which was our uh, rebrand launch. And then we are dropping every other week. Awesome. I love it. So a couple of questions that I had, uh, chat's been dominating and I love it. Um, you know, what, what, what are some assumptions or misunderstandings or, you know, things about GRC that people who don't do GRC get wrong or, you know, m misunderstand? Yeah. So I think that people, um, misunderstand that this is a boring job. This is not a boring job. You're always learning. I think that the GRC job is sometimes, and I mentioned this before, it's not the, the sexy job. It's not the job that everybody's like jumping up and down to get in the cybersecurity space. And I, and I hope that that's changing and I'm starting to see a lot more interest in it. It really is just, it's just a really great way to use your people skills, your technical thinking skills, and a lot of those soft skills that you have mixed in with those, um, those more technical skills that you want to refine. So I think like the biggest misconception is just that this is like a, black and white, check the box type job that's boring. I mean, it's it's not, it's super dynamic, it's super exciting and it's constant learning. Well, what about the hardest part of GRC? I think the hardest part of GRC is that there's never enough time. <laughs> there's so much you want to accomplish and there's so many competing priorities um, and it's just figuring out how to real, realistically put a plan together on what you can accomplish. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was how, you know, because we've done GRC, like when auditors come in, we're not afraid of them. <laughs> like basically we're, we're more than willing to talk to them. And a lot of people who haven't done audit run away or they give very, very binary answers that are short, <laughs> frankly. Um, so, you know, if it's like if someone's getting into this space or, you know, they, they think back to this interview as they move into a GRC role. What kind of tips or thoughts or suggestions might you give around effectively communicating uh, client messaging if you're the auditor coming yeah. in? Yeah, so I think that this, um, this is something that I've definitely learned with time. Um, making audits pleasant or as pleasant as possible is your, is your best bet. And I'm somebody who comes in with, a, with already the understanding that people don't necessarily want to be in the audit. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be in, I'm going to go in there with the, with the um, objective of making it as painless as possible. And I'm going to try to make it light and I'm going to try to educate as much as possible because chances are if I'm in there and I am trying to help the organization understand why I'm asking the questions that I'm asking, they're going to be more motivated to answer those questions rather than there's this mean auditor here who's really trying to uncover deficiencies. Guess what? I'm not. It's much more work for me to find bad things. And mm -hmm. it's not fun for anybody, right? It turns into more of a combative um, combative conversation. So for me, the biggest thing is like starting off with a, hey, why are we here conversation? Why are we here? Here's how it's going to go. Um, I need to see certain things to do my job. And if mm -hmm. for some reason you do, you you don't feel comfortable sharing something. I want to hear why. And I want to kind of find a way where we can negotiate. Right. And I can still get what I need while letting you ask the questions that you need to, to feel comfortable and why I need what I need. Yeah. And I'd also, you know, I'd like to offer one piece of, of guidance that took me years to learn too, um, is whatever you're going to be interviewing the person about, make sure that, it's, it's either written in a way that you can understand it and communicate it effectively, 
or you know what you're talking about in yeah. some capacity. If you just try to read an audit standard as a question, oh my gosh, no. it's going to be incredibly embarrassing because the person you're talking to is going to say, what do you mean by that? And if you literally don't know either, it's, it's going to be a short meeting and you're going to lose a lot of political capital. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's the best. I think that that's really, really awesome guidance. And I think that that's one of the quickest ways to turn off whoever you're auditing because they're going to come in and they're going to say, wow, this, this person is literally reading verbatim off of a checklist and yep. they're just asking me questions over and over again. And I don't understand what the intent is here. And you haven't even translated them into my terminology. And so I think that's really important to understand your audience. If you're there talking to, let's just say the legal team, you want to understand why, why legal is going to care about this conversation. Same with the engineering team. Why are they here? Why do they care about what you have to say? Say mm -hmm. it to them in a way that's going to make it a collaborative discussion in a way that you're going to get what you need out of them. And they're going to come out of this feeling like they learned something. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is just always to always to make sure that anybody that's come into contact with me in an audit room is coming out of that with a little bit more knowledge. I love it. So Erica, we're almost at time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to take the stage, but I, I'd, I'd like to ask you to share some words of wisdom for those early on in a GRC journey. Yeah. So I think that um, my biggest my biggest advice would be to just have as much of an open mind in your career as possible. I think that a lot of times we get uh, caught up with a job title or where we're going to see each other, where we're going to see ourselves growing in you know three to five years and having these really really hard goals. Thing is, is we don't know what we don't know, and a lot of times the best opportunities come in this super secret surprise where you don't even know it might be this opportunity that seems daunting where you're not really eager to do it. And once you do it, it opens the door for the next opportunity, the next opportunity. So I would say have your goals in mind, but be flexible, be open-minded and learn as much as you can. And then another thing is just network and, and be hungry for, for answers and for questions. Just have all the questions that you, that you need to get um, ready to go. Like I'm always, I always have paper with me. I'm always, writing down anything. I want to understand as much as I can, because that just makes me a, a well-rounded cybersecurity professional beyond just GRC, beyond just my day-to-day -day duties. So what you do right now may not be what you do in three years, and that's okay. It's part of our growth journey. So you will find your area, just be open-minded and learn as much as you can from what you're currently doing. So, so inspiring, uh, Erica. Thank you so much. That That's just excellent. Uh, chat, please join me. Throw your emojis up, the hand clap or whatever. Thank you, Erica, for like literally dropping so much knowledge. I, I, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to go back and rewatch this, cut it up, carve it up. And I mean, you dropped so many nuggets that it's probably not even fair to call them nuggets. They're like, it's like boulders of knowledge. So thank you for, for spending time with us today. Thank you for sharing all of that wild, wealthy, valuable information. Thanks so much for having me, Jerry. And thanks Simply Cyber Fam. Absolutely. So let's just tease really quick what we're going to be doing next week. Erica, normally I'll send you to the green room, but you're, you're a close friend. I'd love to keep you up here. Guys. Neil Bridges. Woo! Neil's coming on for current state of cyber. It's going to be like a potpourri one. Uh, you know, Neil's got his style and he's going to be spitting hot fire. So please join us a week from today. Same stream, 
uh, that Erica just graced our presence with. Also, if you're looking for a new a new thing to do at eight in the morning on Friday, because who isn't? Uh, come join us for the cybersecurity morning threat briefing. First things first, it's eight to eight thirty. It's high action, high impact. Many of you are in chat right now know exactly what it is because you're part of that community. But if you're new here and you want to find out what's going on in the world of cybersecurity and stay informed, this is an excellent way to do it. You can go to simplycyber.io slash FTF and it'll drop you right in there and we'll see you and, um, on, on, on Friday morning at 8 a.m. It's, it's every morning, but tomorrow it'll be Friday. So that's what we'll do. That's going to do it for this episode of Simply Cyber. Thank you so much to our guest, Eric McDuffie. Thank you so much to all of you in chat. I really, really enjoy and appreciate each of you and the contributions you bring. Until next time, stay secure.